We cannot cure the world of sorrows, but we can choose to live in joy. Welcome to Heal Conversations to guide you toward personal growth and overall well-being. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Heal. We have Lisa Domino-White, who is a best-selling author. She's a national speaker. She's a podcast host and a professional coach. Her goal is to help others seek, create, and to spread joy. That sounds perfect. Hi. Love it. That's me. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) Welcome to the show. I do want to let the listeners know that Brittany is not here this week, but um, she promises next time that she'll be with me. I'm just going to kick her off the podcast, Lisa. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. I, I, I am sure you have your reasons. <laughs> <laughs> She's my daughter, so I can do that. Of course. There it is. <laughs> so thanks for coming or, on. Or you could just ground her. Oh, no, I can't. She's 30. I can't ground my daughter. Oh, that's fair. (laughs) Thank you for having me here. Oh, yeah, it's been it's been so good to chat with you, even just for this short time before we hit record. I can't wait to hear all about your story and um, how you came to want to spread joy. I I just think that's such a great uh, purpose, because don't you think it's so hard to live in the world Uh, that we're living in right now? (laughs) You know, it is. Maintain a positive mindset is really difficult. So I'm dying to hear how you came to this point today. What drew you to wanting to help others create joy? Uh, Yes, yes. Well, uh, I'll start out by saying I'm not one of those people who tells others to ignore the bad, you know, because I don't feel like that's a realistic way to live. I think putting our head in the sand and ignoring all the bad stuff, it's not it's not real life. It's not sustainable. And it's certainly it's also not, healthy. not healthy. It shuts exactly. out the part of your inauthentic. It makes you inauthentic is what there I'm trying to say. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Cause your body's going to find a way to make that come out somehow, some way, someday. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a matter of acceptance versus dwelling and getting help when we need that help to not dwell. And, and so I'll just start off right at the top with that, because so many times people here, they call me the joy seeker, which I love. And they roll their eyes and they sigh and they're like, oh, she's one of those people who believes that every day is filled with rainbows and butterflies and sunshine. I don't, but I'm also one of those people who believes that we have the power to decide how and how frequently and when to incorporate joy into our lives. And so that's kind of what I'm about, just encouraging people to seek it out find it, create it and spread it. And I think that there's so much we can do that just feels so great and so authentic. So yeah, um, I find, I find that we easily, and we do um, almost effortlessly spread the misery, you know, how's your weekend? Oh, I can't believe it's Monday. You know, like we just go through and then we, for some reason we get all, all pulled into that and we just go along with it where we could just actually do just the opposite and feel so much better about the exchange and ourselves and our lives and things in general. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, uh, you know, so, um, 
So long story short, I live in Denver, Colorado. I'm a wife and a mom. My kids are 10 and 13, just the love of my lives. Even the 13 year old who's becoming, well, who is a teenager now, um, you know, (laughs) that relationship has changed. You know, he, he's definitely into his friends and, and uh, all the things that teenagers are into. It just requires me to pivot a little bit and, you know, accept the fact that our relationship is different, still great, just different. Um, you know, and, and so, um, you know, my story begins when, when I was a kid, I'm, I'm very open about sharing this. Um, actually wrote a book as you alluded to, it's called bursting with happiness because I realized that people who knew me, people who see me, who are acquaintances, who are friends, colleagues, they always consider me to be this happy, joyful person. And, the reason they thought that was because they thought that I had no challenges whatsoever. They're like, Oh, you must, you know, just have it all figured out and no problems, no issues. And that's why you're happy all the time. And I'm like, well, first of all, I'm not happy all the time. Second of all, you could not be further from the truth. Um, There's just things that I chose to let people know and see. And it's just a testament to remind us all that everybody has struggles and challenges and it's okay. We can be happy despite them. So I was um, always a very anxious little girl growing up, a um, lot of fear, a lot of fear. I can remember um, being at the kitchen table at my house and my dad was changing the battery in his watch. And if you remember, the batteries and watches were super tiny, those really mm-hmm. circular, small batteries. I couldn't get it out of my head, the fear that, oh my goodness, what if he accidentally left it on the table and somehow somebody ate it during dinner that night. So crazy. You had that such an irrational fear like that was going to happen. And in my mind, it was very logical that it could. What if, you know, it got mixed in with the food? What if something, you know, we just weren't paying attention. And so I, that was, that's the first memory I have of an obsessive thought of a thought that I could not get rid of that. I struggled with that caused me distress And I can remember my dad, my poor dad, like, what are you talking about? I'm throwing it out. Here you go. And I'm like, but that's not good enough. And, and, and so the cycle began. Um, It was always a fear around something tragic happening. Same. Isn't that interesting? Really? Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. But it was mainly, I think my, I always, I joke when I say things like what I'm about to say. I'm Italian. So we're super, they're superstitious, right? So yeah. you're not going to cross the street. Cause if you cross the street, there's going to be a car and it's going to come and it's going to kill you. And you yep. it's like, so you just live in constant fear of something yes. tragic happening from just daily activities. hundred percent. So, so that 100%. watch story totally resonated. I'm like, yeah, you could eat yeah. that. You could die. <laughs> you could die. I, I'm not I remember put the battery in my mouth. So, right. But somehow it may happen. Exactly. And I'm Italian too. So maybe there's something to that, but, uh, I can, I can remember it being a constant theme. I can remember we would go to Kmart. That was kind of the target version back in the eighties. And I I remember, you know, Kmart, the blue light special, you know, Kmart. And there's still Kmart around. Oh, we are our most local one closed. So we're, we're now without a Kmart, but I can remember my mom, you know, my brother, who's three years younger than me, begging my mom to go look at the toys and she'd say yeah go look at the toys and I'm like what are you nuts he could be kidnapped 
So I would follow him three years older than him. So he was, you know, four and I'm like seven, his bodyguard. And That's I'm standing a lot there of weight on your shoulders. I'm standing there watching him looking at the GI Joes and stuff when I would clearly rather be in the cabbage patch or Barbie aisle, because that's what I wanted to look at, but not on my watch. Was anybody going to take my little brother? It wasn't going to happen. And I, I just remember going there. That was my natural reaction to things. And my mom and dad realized pretty quickly that it was stressful. I was not doing well. Nobody knew outside of my home, but they knew. And so they got me some help and, you know, bless her heart. It was a child psychologist who basically said what you said, why do you carry this weight of the world on you? And, you know, um, stop worrying about things. And we actually talk about it. We talked about strategies so that I didn't feel the need to run to my mom and tell her everything I was feeling because somehow that made it feel like it was going to be okay. As long as I cleared it with my mom. I told her of my fear of the anxiety I felt. For some reason, I felt like that meant it was going to be okay. So you can imagine what that dynamic certainly became like. So long story short, we had some tools in my tool belt and I felt really good. Um, For the most part, all through elementary, middle, high school, I felt good. I felt okay. Um, Anxious about things here and there, but nothing terrible. Yeah. And you know, it's okay to have a little bit of anxiety about normal things that are, you know, normal for us. A little bit of stress isn't bad. Right. Right. So were you the oldest? Were you the um, firstborn? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of expectation, a lot of pressure, self-imposed mostly, but also a lot of fear that I was in charge for some reason of protecting my family. Yeah. Just it was all about me. And I can remember my mom even saying, you do realize I've lived 35 years before you were born. And I was fine. I'm like, yeah, I, so I was she a, did. a kindergarten teacher for 16 years. And you can spot the firstborns a mile away. Um, bet. I don't like to generalize, but sure. But for 16 years, I know you can notice because yeah. they are the warriors, you know, they worry yeah. about everyone doing the right thing. And of course, them doing the right thing. And if someone's not doing the right thing, they sure, they sure as hell let you know. And it's like, well, yeah. thank you. <laughs> yeah, and they guilt were. It's, it's all anxiety. It's not tattling. Yeah. It's, it's no. just, yeah, yeah. And guilt. I, I had terrible guilt as a kid. Just like if I did something, I can remember I scratched my, my dad's car and I was like, I think I did the scratch. And he's like, why are you telling me this? Like, that's not a what a normal kid would be like, yeah, I'm going to hide that with every fiber of my being. And here I am like, I did this. I will take the punishment or whatever. You know, it was just a a very, very um, high expectations I had for myself. So everything was fine. I I more or less used those tools to get me through whatever challenges I did have. And then I got married when I was 23 and things went so sideways. I didn't live with my husband before we got married. So it was a huge adjustment. And I started having anxiety and fear again, not necessarily about like harm, harm coming to us, more like fear of something bad happening to the relationship. I was going to fail. I started worrying about um, chemicals and germs. It started morphing into a very different direction. And my poor, my poor husband was like, what, what did I marry into? What, what, what's going on? And 
I told him, you know, when I was a kid, I struggled with some really big fear. And now I feel similar types of fear. They're focusing on other things, but that, that spiral, I can't get out of my head. Mm -hmm. So I knew pretty quickly I needed to get some help because this was not the life that I wanted for myself or for him or for us. Mm -hmm. And the counselor that I saw when I was nine was still practicing. I was in my hometown and I called her and I said, you may not remember me. And she's like, I most certainly do. Uh, It was, it was 20 years ago, but I need some help now. And she helped me again. And that's where I received the official diagnosis of OCD. She said, I think that's what we're dealing with here. It was a lot of obsessing over things that I felt were out of my control and then performing the compulsions and then feeling that relief and then getting in that cycle that I just couldn't break. I asked her, I asked her why after all these years it resurfaced. And she said, because when we're in a position of some new life altering situation, we often go back to the tendencies that we know. Yeah. And it made perfect sense when she said it. It does. Yeah. Yeah. So I needed to relearn some tools. I needed to figure out again how to, because I, I knew right away that this was always going to be a part of me in some way. It was just a matter of never fixing it, but managing Managing it the very best I could. Managing it for yourself more than anything. Yeah. So you can be at peace maybe. And exactly. Yeah. Function, be happy. And so I, I did, I got on some medication. We found one that worked really well. And, and the medication was wonderful because it's not a magic pill. It doesn't make everything go away, but what it did was it brought my anxiety level down enough so that I could think things through a little more rationally. Yeah. And that's the key. You know, it's like, if I'm, if I'm stuck in a spiral where, you know, I can't like, I'll give you a perfect example. I was at work once. I'll never forget it. I was at work and I dropped my pen on the floor. Yeah. The floor was the worst possible thing in my world at that time. So many because germs. Of germs. Yeah. Oh my God. So many germs, so much dirt. Yep. And I was in the middle of a meeting with my boss. So I couldn't exactly leave it there and run out of the room, which is what I probably would have done to go wipe it down and wash my hands. I picked up the pen because I had to. Yeah. And I held it in my hand like a statue because I didn't want to contaminate any other part of my body with what was on the pen now that it would on, was on the floor. So yep. basically the dirt that was on the floor was now on the pen, was now in my hand. Mm-hmm. And what I needed to do before I could move on with my day was either throw the pen out. That was a highly possible solution. Mm-hmm. But more likely either wash it off with soap, wash my hands, and then I could move on with my day. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the therapy that my counselor talked me through was exposure. We did a lot of hold the pen, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, prolong that feeling of discomfort. And the longer you can do that, the more you're attacking that belief that you have to immediately wash your hands yep. and you become stronger than the desire, right? It's the urge. Yeah. The urge. And it, it dwindles, it dissipates the longer you can stand it. And that's part of the challenge is if you want to, f- to focus on how to 
beat this. You have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. Wow. The worst. The worst. It's it's the opposite of what we want to do. (laughs) 100%. 100%. But each time I did it, I felt like such a strong, you know, empowering, awesome, empowering, awesome, bad mama jama. Cause I'm like, I love me. it. I am yeah. like, I am pushing through now. That's not to say it's a straight line. I mean, no. there were moments where I felt so weak about things. I remember dropping a whole change purse of coins on the floor and I couldn't pick it up. I just could not, I just couldn't do it. And then this guy came up behind me and saw like all these quarters on the ground. And he's like, hot dog, it's my lucky day. And all I remember thinking is, what must that be like to live like that? So, you know, there were days where I was very strong and feeling great. And there were others where not so much. But the trick I have found is to always think back to those moments of strength and use those when you're struggling. Think back to, I've done this before. I've done something like this. And I came out of it on the other side. And I can do that now too. It's just yep. building that database of memory. I was going to say it's to, practice to and from. practice and practice and practice. And then and the learning memories. that the world yep. doesn't implode. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So things were, things were good. Again, I, I had my 20 year check-in felt good about it. Everything was okay. And then COVID happened. And I didn't even make, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. You might, uh, it was was like my worst nightmare come true Yeah, because I have my kids and again, the fear of always wanting to protect them, protect anything bad from happening. I've always been a nervous mom, but this took it to the next level. I bet. I, I felt like my fears were justified all those years. Look, the world is dangerous. You know, look, I told you, I told you. And if you tell somebody who's already a germaphobe to wash their hands more frequently, we do. And we have the bloody hands to prove it. It's awful. And I had a really hard time accepting any risk when it related to that. So basically I cut my family off. I said, we are not engaging with anybody. We're not leaving this house until this threat is over. Yeah. Period. Two, three months later, we're still in that cycle and- I couldn't, couldn't do it anymore. I was exhausted. My kids were suffering. I knew we needed to come up with another strategy to find a way to manage through this. And cause I was treading water and it looked like after about June, Absolutely. Know you know, it's interesting because oh, uh, so many of us were treading water, but I feel like if you're already there, then you are even deeper um, because I mean, I was doing things I, I never used hand sanitizer, even as a teacher, I don't use it. I wash my hands. So the fact that now I had to squirt the stuff on my hands constantly, I, I, I had a hard time managing yeah. that washing the groceries after yeah. you bring them into the house sounds insane, but we yeah. all were doing it because yeah. we just didn't know anything about it. Right. We didn't right. know what was and happening. Of, so, and of course my mind went directly to, oh my God this is the end. This is, and, and again, not on my watch. And so shut everybody down, shut us all down, isolated, knew this is it. And then yep. a few months late into that, that, that severe isolation and that constant anxiety I was feeling, my parents came over to sit outside on the deck. Cause I hadn't seen them in three months. They hadn't seen the kids in three months. 
And we sat outside 10 feet apart because if six feet is recommended, 10 is better. And my dad had to go to the bathroom. And I said, well, you're not allowed in my house. Absolutely not. Are you kidding me? And my parents know how I am. So they left and I cried and said, I can't do this anymore. No, I got to figure it out. I cannot live like this anymore. And my therapist was still practicing. So I Googled her and she's still practicing. And I said, it's your old buddy, Lisa. (laughs) And she was able to help me again, navigate these uncertain times. And again, coming up with new tools and strategies. And this is when I realized I had to start being very vocal about my life story because people have such misconceptions about joyful, happy, confident people. They think we've got it all figured out and we don't. We I think nine times like out of 10, we, we went through the fire and that's what makes us try to figure it out. So we're yes. just so much more maybe empathetic. So we or compassionate, yeah. you know, so we understand yeah. people because we yeah. know everyone yeah. like, like, you know, everyone's going through something. Exactly. And I choose, I'm not going to let this best me. I'm going to figure out each time that my current tools are not working, I'm going to get new tools and I'm going to keep working on it and keep pushing myself to be uncomfortable. What a great model for your kids too, because you know, anxiety can be inherited. So um, showing your kids like, okay, I'm not okay. I mean, I mean, I don't mean you're not okay. (laughs) What I mean is I'm not feeling okay right now but this is what I'm going to do. I'm noticing it. And this is what I'm going to do to try to figure out how to get through this period. Um, Exactly. You know, like your kids, I don't know if they suffer from anxiety at all, but um, it is genetic. It can be genetic. Yeah. So well, sure. And they're they're seeing things. Yeah. Yeah. And just being such a great role model um, and how you behave is wonderful. I appreciate that. But more importantly, I think it's important that they see that if we have struggles of any kind that we feel like it's keeping us from being as happy as we know we can be, whether it's depression, anxiety, uh, fears that we have, there's help. And it's important to not feel badly about getting that help when we right. need it. Cause we all need it sometimes. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, it, so, so my mission then became to talk about it, to inspire people to own their lives, to own their joy and find their way through whatever struggles they have. There are things that we're not gonna ever be able to fix. I'll always be fearful. I'll never be fearless, but mm-hmm. I strive to fear less. And that's my goal. And, and so it's, it's just a matter of understanding who we are, accepting who we are until or unless it becomes something that's keeping us from being the best versions of ourselves. Right. Wow. That's an amazing story. I'm certain, I'm certain there'll be so many people hearing this that can relate. Um, And just knowing that, and we're going to talk about what you're doing now. um, But once they hear that, after they've heard this story, I just think it's super inspirational. So I appreciate that. Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. You know, well, it's, thanks. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an important thing for us all to remember. And, you know, in fact, I came up with a, um, an acronym that helps people really understand what it is I'm trying to share. If I could. What is it? Of it's course. Called, it's called CARE, C-A-R-E. 
and the C stands for change. And so when we think about our lives, if you think about what's keeping you from being the happiest version of you, that's the thing that we have to change. Now, notice it's not fixed completely. It's change. In my life, it was that OCD, anxiety, fear that I had Mm -hmm. first, you know, when I was first married. And then when COVID hit, I knew that that was keeping me from being as happy as I knew I could be. So that's the one thing that I was committed to improving. So I did my homework. I found resources. I got help. Whatever it is that's going to help me get that challenge into a place where it's not keeping me from being as happy as I know I can be. Now, conversely, the A is for accept. So there's plenty of things about us that, you know, if I could, I would change, of course. But we only have a finite amount of time, resources, and energy. We can't fix, quote unquote, everything. So it's important to have those two separate categories. The change, the thing right now that I'm going to focus on because it's keeping me from being joyful Mm -hmm. versus accept. The acceptor, do I wish I was eating healthier consistently? Sure. Do Mm -hmm. I wish I had more of an exercise regimen? Yes. Are they keeping me from being as happy as I know I can be right now? Not so much. Right now I have other priorities that I need to focus on. Mm -hmm. So it's really about identifying what goes in the change and what goes in the accept. And the things that are in the accept category, there's no fee, there's no anger, uh, judgment, feeling like a failure around it. That's just where it belongs right now. Yeah. Now we realize that's what accepting is all about. Accepting is being okay with the way things are. Yeah. Exactly. For now, for now. And then down the road, maybe Maybe in a couple of weeks, a couple months. Yeah. It'll exactly. (laughs) Cause right now, even though I have my moments of anxiety, cause that's just who I am. It'll mm-hmm. never be gone. I'm good. I'm feeling like I'm maintaining my well-being. So that anxiety, fear, my OCD tendencies right now are, I'm, I'm okay. I'm accepting that that's who I am right now. Mm-hmm. I now have space for something else to work on, to improve upon. That's mm-hmm. going to help me get to being as joyful as I know I can be. Mm-hmm. And so the R stands for reassess. And this is where the joy comes in because my whole book is called Bursting with Happiness. And I believe that a burst of joy can change our lives. The more joy we can incorporate into our lives, the happier lives we have. And a burst of it is just something small and consistent, whether it's music, whether it's a special type of food or exercise or sports or show or whatever. It's we have to own it because sometimes other people create joy for us. And that's great. But Mm -hmm. a burst of joy is something that we create for ourselves and that we are owning that you can't just know that listening to the Hamilton soundtrack makes you happy. You have to actually do it and find a way to incorporate it into your day daily, because that's what brings you a burst of joy. So the R stands for reassess. And so with this step, I encourage people to reassess what they think brings them joy, because there are things about you that you probably would find really joyful that you never did before. Right. My go-to example is football. I was never a football fan, but (laughs) I was at a a house once, a birthday party, and they had a football game on in the corner. And I was interested and kind of went over and looked at what was going on and asked some questions and it caught my attention. So the next weekend, 
when I was at home. I turned the game on because I'm like, could it have been a fluke? Holy smokes. I loved it. And I've been all so in funny. ever since. <laughs> Who would have thought? That's so funny. Who would have thought? But had I not been willing to ask the question, to consider yeah. the possibility, I would have right. missed out. Another example that I just love is a friend of mine hated skiing. Anytime anybody went skiing, oh, no, I'm good. I went when I was a kid, downhill skiing. Now, I'm in Colorado, so clearly it's a pretty popular thing to do. She never wanted to go. One, after, one, one season a few years ago, a friend of hers had a free lift ticket and said, do you want to come? And of course she was ready to say no. And I pushed back on her. I'm like, what's the, what's the harm? Assuming you don't break your leg, what's the worst that can happen? You go for the day. It doesn't cost you anything. You don't enjoy it. You come home. Now, you know, she's like, all right, just shut me up. She went, she ended up loving it because when she was a kid, she couldn't appreciate the beauty and the tranquility that came with it by being at the top of that mountain. All she cared about when she was a kid was, you know, how hard it is to go to the bathroom when you're wearing all those clothes and she <laughs> was cold. But now as an adult, yeah, she found something else that she could appreciate about the experience. Right. So had she not reassessed what brings her joy, she would have missed out on that. Now she goes more than I do. It's ridiculous. I bet. I bet she does. <laughs> so the R is to reassess what brings you joy. And then the E is to embrace whatever it is. So again, it's actually doing the thing that makes you smile. It's finding the time to listen to your favorite podcast like this one, or yeah. <laughs> to read a book or to do a puzzle, whatever it is that makes your mind relax or gives you a smile when you think about doing it in anticipation of, right? That's all that it takes to add some more joy to your life daily. I love that. That's so great. Is that, in, is that also in your book or is that just something you recently came up with? The model is not in the book, the care model, but if you go to thejoyseeker.com slash freebie, just put your email in and I will automatically email you a beautiful document that just outlines it where you can hang it up and keep it visual to remember what that C-A-R-N-E mean. Love that. So now you, you go on, do you do, have you done any speaking since COVID? Uh, almost all of it has been virtual, which has been fine. Um, it's been, um, it's been actually really great because it's been all over the country. Actually, I had a, an event in Scotland that I did virtually as well. So technically I hit the international scope. Oh, woohoo. Very uh, cool. Technically you sure did. You absolutely uh, sure did. did. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's so, so I do speak, it's mostly virtual, but I am starting to see some live events come in and have some opportunities to do that in the near future as well. But how do you, you know, feel it's, about it's, that? How do you feel about doing a, live? That's a great, great question. Um, I'm getting more comfortable. I'm getting more comfortable. I'm forcing myself to do more in life in general. And I think that's going to translate to the stage. Um, I did do an event back in the fall and it was too soon. I did okay, but I was very, very nervous about yeah. it. And yeah. um, I, I'm, it, was, it, was, it was harder than I anticipated, but now I am doing the work by pushing myself a little bit more than I would like, because I want to get more comfortable. That's great. It's again, a great role model <laughs> for doing, I'm you know, trying. Pra yeah, practicing what you know works yeah. and, and what you're telling people 
how to yeah, help them. It's exactly. helping you as well. Doing right, the we're going to go, we're going to take a super quick break, but it's going to be so fast. Don't anyone go anywhere. We'll be right back. And we're back with Lisa Domino White. Remember, she was on with us before the break. She is a best-selling author, national speaker, podcast host, but she's also a coach. But the most, I think, exciting thing on her bio is that she helps people to seek joy in their lives. And I think that we all could use a little help with that. So tell us now, if someone was listening to this podcast and they were interested in um, booking you or hiring you as their coach or listening to your podcast or reading your book, how can they find you? Oh, well, all the good stuff is at thejoyseeker.com. I have links on there to the podcast, which is called Bursting with Happiness, the book, which is also called Bursting with Happiness, and my coaching programs. And so the coaching thing is so awesome. That I fell into um, when I started speaking, I had some folks approach me about coaching them and I'd never thought about it before, but of course, love helping people, love inspiring others and supporting them. So I went and got a certification for that. And now I am a certified professional coach. Um, in that role, I see myself as a sounding board, an accountability partner, and a cheerleader. As a sounding board, I am there to ask questions and get my clients thinking about what it is they really want, because I don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. I know that you have the answers about yourself, and I mm -hmm. am there to help you figure out what you want and then come right. up with a plan to getting it. And the accountability partner piece is I'm going to hold you accountable. We're so mm -hmm. much more likely to do something when we know we are going to be called out on yeah, it. Yeah. Someone's know? waiting for you to report back. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so funny because some of my clients are like, well, how come I'm so successful at work? And, you know, but yet when my personal life isn't question, I struggle. And I'm like, well, because you're accountable to your boss and your colleagues and your clients. But when it's your own personal life, you tend to just kind of say, I'm good. Yep. And, yep. you know, which is fine until it's not. And then yep. you need somebody to throw it in that change bucket. You. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's not, exactly right. Yeah. And then the cheerleader. Um, I love supporting people and inspiring them to think about how strong they really are, because I've had clients who just don't see what I see. They see themselves as failing in this one area and they fail to see how great they are and how strong they are and how they've proven it over and over and over. Right, right. And I'm the one who's like, uh, excuse me, but didn't you just do X, Y, and Z? Yeah. Yeah. You oh get yeah. To... But that's, that's different. Like, no, Your perspective not. is so perfect because uh, I find that a lot with my clients too. I'm like, don't you realize what you've actually like accomplished already? Yeah. Um, and they don't see it that way, which is so exactly. sad. It is. It is, but that's why we're here. We're here to remind them of their strength and their successes and that they can do whatever it is they set their mind to do. It's just coming up with a plan. And you know what? I wonder if you find this as well. Some of my clients, they box themselves in because they think they have to know every step to get to that ultimate goal that they have. And my argument for that is, mm, no, you don't. All you need to know is the first or second step and then you will figure out the next ones as you go along. They'll reveal themselves. Nobody knows every step toward where they want to be until no. they actually get moving, right? No, and, and half the time, all you need to know is exactly what you want. And, and eventually, you know, you stay, take some action toward it. 
Exactly. Um, but I feel like the universe does provide. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. And even messy action is action. Even action a small is a, step. Action is important, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. We get so hung up on what we should be doing or doing it perfectly. It's if we sit around and wait for something to be perfect, we'll never do it. And, and sometimes so, we don't even need to worry about the how it just exactly. comes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But I think, I think I probably do that myself too. I get all caught totally. up. I need to do this now. And I need, how am I going to get there? And yep. these are the steps I'm going to take and. <laughs> and go. <laughs> and go. go. Oh. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's human nature, but you know, when you want something badly enough, it's just a matter of putting it out into the universe, saying it, having somebody help you figure out exactly what you want and how to get it. And then just yep. going for it. That's right. That's right. I love going for things. I love going for things. And when they don't work out saying, okay, what did I learn from that? Yeah. Can't What's be the afraid end? to it's fail. Not the end of the world. No, nope. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and often sometimes when we quote fail, it just points us in a different direction that we may never have even explored. Had we not yep. gone for the thing we thought we really, really wanted. I'm grateful for all of those things that were perceived yeah. as failures for sure. Definitely. For sure. Definitely. It's been so nice to talk to you. I, again, this is Lisa Domino White. Um, she is a joy seeker. I love that. Thank I you. I love that so very much. And um, I, we usually ask our guests three questions at the end of the podcast. Before I do that, do you have anything else that you would like to share? Uh, you know, at that, I just, I want people to take away from this that you can be your own joy seeker. It's just a matter of making it intentional, believing that you deserve it and going for it one day. At I a think time. that believing that you deserve it part is tricky for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why, but yes. Yeah. I don't either. We're our well, own worst critic, aren't we? Yes, we yeah. are. Like you said, we have high expectations of ourselves. We sure do. Okay. So here are the fun questions. They're all okay. fun because they all get all right. to learn more about you, but Here's some more questions. When you're at your most peaceful, what is it that you're doing? Mm. When I'm at my most peaceful, I would say coaching a client. I am in the zone. It is 100% about them. I am listening so intently that nothing else matters in that moment. And then when I ask the right question and the client says, huh, yes, I never thought of that. And they came up with what they never thought of. That is the magical moment. And it's awesome, yeah. brings me so much joy. All right. Um, is there a book that you would recommend to maybe your clients or to anyone else? One, maybe a life-changing book for you, or even if it's your own book. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I have to say my book, um, but I'll say another one too. But um, so my book is Bursting with Happiness. Again, it's on Amazon and you can find information on it on my website. Um, my book is an easy read and in it, I talk about the 10 things that bring me bursts of joy. And the first thing is bravery. And mm -hmm. this is where I go more into depth about my story and my journey with OCD and anxiety and fear and how I find so much joy when I do something that I never thought I could or that I yeah. would do. Yeah. And so um, I'm, I'm very proud of that book. It's I've had people reach out saying that they get it, they resonate with it. And 
in it, I inspire the list, the reader to think about what brings them a burst of joy and to go with it. So I pose questions at the end of each chapter for self-reflection. But I also like Atomic Habits by James Clear. I know it's, it's an oldie, but a goodie. It's really about owning our habits because a habit, it's stuff that we don't even think about anymore. Mm-hmm. And we tend to think that we can't change them. And that book will tell you how to change That's it. It's awesome. about the empowerment. The great one. That's great. And it falls right in line with the theme of our podcast. All right. Exactly. I think I know what your answer is going to be, but if money was no object, what would you be doing? If money was no object, what would I be doing? What would I be doing? Wow. You think you know what I would say? I'm not going to say anything. (laughs) Tell me. Now I'm intrigued. Well, because Um, I don't want you to feel bad, but usually people say exactly what I'm doing now. Maybe on a bigger scale or maybe another country. I I think I would do it on a... (laughs) That's the thing. I love what I'm doing now. Speaking, you know, on podcasts and at conventions and conferences and, and coaching people and writing. Um, I think I would do more of it. I would maybe give everybody free coaching. Like if anybody wanted to connect with me and, you know, my time, I would say, yep, you get a, co- you get some sessions and you get some sessions and you get some sessions. Oprah. I would yeah. Oprah that stuff. Yeah. Let me tell you. Yeah. That's um, usually what people say, but I didn't want to pressure you. Some people do say travel around the world. Um, but yeah, other people you know, usually say exactly what I'm doing, but on a bigger scale, yeah. or, help more people. Yeah. Help more people. Help more people. Yeah, absolutely. That's for sure. That's why we did that. That's why we're doing this anyway. We know how much it's helped us. So we help others, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, those are all my questions. Thank you so much for joining me. It's so nice to meet you. And it was so brave of you. And I know bravery is one of your things that brings you a burst of joy, but absolutely courageous to be able to share that story um, with the listeners. Because again, you know, we all have, um, we all second guess ourselves and have anxiety and, and um, some more severe than others. And I just think yeah. it's nice to be able to share that. So others can hear what you've gone through and how successful you've been and are being right now, even with that. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity to be on your show. It's been great. Great. Thank you. And everyone, you. I'll be back again in just a second. If you're in the Mansfield, Massachusetts area and are looking for a space for yoga, meditation, great workshops, and life coaching support, check out Mainstream Coaching and Wellness. Mainstream even has a couple of virtual options if you don't live close by. Check out their offerings at MainstreamMeditation.com. You can also follow Mainstream Coaching and Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. The name is Mainstream Coaching and Wellness. And here I am. I am back, just came back to say one more time, thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited that you enjoy this podcast and keep coming back for more. We can't wait to see you next time. But until then, may you be happy, healthy, safe, and live a life that's filled with ease. Thank you. Bye.